Good morning, everyone. It's great to see all of you. Hey, uh, last last service went off the rails. I kind of took the sermon and went off the rails. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do just pray that God would help me do that again the second service um, because I think a lot of good things happen. I want to give a shout out to a group of people that are usually not recognized at a church, and that is our sound, lighting, and computer and camera people. Yeah, they're amazing. Let me just tell you, you know, this church has some of the greatest people in it, and I am really blessed. I've been here a while, and, and I, have, I, I don't want to go anywhere. God may put me someplace, but uh, I don't want to go anywhere. And we have some of the best loving, caring, compassionate people who love me. We have the worst speakers of any church in town. Yes, we have the worst speakers. Now, let me just say this. We at Crosstown use money the right way. I'm not saying nobody else does, but I'm just saying I know as for me and this house, we use we we were running projectors for like 20 years that were super VGA. Okay, I mean, now, if you're a computer person, you're like, Super VGA, how'd you do that, Pastor Paul? I thought you were using 4K. No, we still don't have 4K monitors. And, I mean, and these are, we just didn't think anybody needed 4K on a Sunday morning. But the speakers are like 25, they were used when we bought them, like 25 years ago. So if you're over 60 like I am, and you're kind of like, I like that church, but I'm going to put my earphones on or, or things like that because it's, it's noisy and harsh. I, I get it. It is noisy and harsh because these speakers have been through three floods. This building was full of water up to here. Three had water in it three times, and, and all that humidity has just ruined everything, but we've just plowed on. So some of you don't realize we have geniuses here. Skywalker, who plays the, um, the guitar over here, his name's Walker, but I call him Skywalker. I mean, who wouldn't want a name like that? I mean, Costanza could be called Coco, the monkey. I mean, I think we can call this guy Skywalker. And you can call me Maverick from this point on, too, if you don't mind. I really appreciate Maverick. <laughs> uh, so, no, I know some of you are not going to do that at all. Um, so, uh, but wait, Ricky is amazing. The, the, the team is amazing. Joe, Ward, all these people, volunteer. And, and it's so here's what I, why I'm bringing that up, is that some of you, we're doing a series on stimulus, and some of you are really offended that the government is handing out stimulus checks. And I respect your civil liberties to hate the stimulus check. I want you to just show those Republicans and Democrats how much you hate it, and I want you to give Crosstown Church your stimulus church, you check, okay? All I need, if you hate it so much, I want you to give us that $1,600. We will put all the money towards the $50,000 it takes to replace speakers. So you say, wow, I can't believe he's talking about money in church. You know why you can't believe it? It's because we don't talk about money in church. We don't take an offering. We don't pass a bucket around. We don't, we don't have one of those, when I was a Catholic, it used to be like a, um, a bucket on a long stick. You guys remember that? When you'd be like, all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> that's what it was like. I love being Catholic. That was so cool. Um, but so I want to encourage you. Uh, if you don't like the sound, if you don't like it, don't be complaining to me about it. Just give us some, give us some cash. 
let go of the money. Let's go. Show me the money. I think I used that video clip, didn't I? Yes, yes. So uh, I just want to say we're doing an amazing job, and I want to thank all of you for what you do. You're really great people. So uh, also, if you're an older person like me, over 60, I just turned 62, and uh, if you're older and you've got a lot of money you're going to leave to your dirtbag 40-year-old son who's looked on cocaine, just, just give it to us in his name. When I meet him, I'll let him know, oh, Jimmy. Yeah, that's what we call the speakers at church. That's Jimmy speakers right there. So let me, let me encourage you. Like I said, I knew it would go off the rails early. but it's, uh, So just, you guys know my heart on this. Last time we took an offering was for an orphanage in Burma. Okay, so you cannot accuse me of talking about money here at Crosstown. But the stimulus is real. Stimulus can change things. You know, I'll tell you, one of the, my birthday went by and Susan bought me a lens for my camera. I've gotten into photography since I can't play sports anymore. I figured I got to keep the brain going. So she got me this really cool zoom lens for my camera. So I've been out taking pictures of birds everywhere. It's amazing that when you have stimulus, this, the lens is a 70-350 uh, uh, millimeter. So when you turn it, all of a sudden you're extended into a situation that you normally couldn't see. I'm getting pictures of birds and feathers, and they're absolutely amazing, the photos that I'm getting. I couldn't believe that I could take photos like that. I thought you had to be like some naturalist, uh, wildlife photographer kind of person. It's like, no, if you have something that will extend you into a view that you have not seen before, it can happen to every one of it. And that's what we started talking about, is that the Holy Spirit of God wants to extend your view so you can see things that you've never seen before that you can discover new beauty in your marriage, in your families, in relationships with people, in your country, in your community, that all of a sudden the limited space focal point that we have in our lives can now be extended so that you can see amazing things by the power and the spirit of God. That is the power of stimulus. And that's what we've been talking about, that God wants us to use his love, his truth and purpose to begin to stimulate life around us. So last week we learned about how God had planned to kind of give a stimulus to the world. In the church world, we call it the day of Pentecost. And I just want to tell you how technical the word Pentecost is. The word Pentecost means 50. That's all it means. It just means 50. 50 days after the uh, death and resurrection of Christ, God released his spirit on planet Earth to his disciples, and the change began. Prior to that, he told his disciples not to go anywhere. Like, don't, don't try to fix the world. Don't try to fix your spouse. Don't try to fix everybody else. You know, don't, don't be telling everybody on Facebook what's wrong with the world and wrong with the whites and the blacks and the Republicans and the Democrats. He's like, no, 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 no. Just step away from Facebook until you get the Holy Spirit because it's like Facebook, I mean, the Holy Spirit should change everything about you. Begin to allow your focal point to be extended so that you can begin to see things the way that God sees them. So we ordered them, and Jesus said, uh, do not depart Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. But as soon as they get it, what does God do? He says, here, man, here's a new lens for your camera. Uh, what do you want me to do with it? I want you to get out of the house, and I want you to go take some pictures. I want you to find beauty. I want you to go out there and, and go into places that you've never been before. 
And in Acts 1.7, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what happened. The Holy Spirit was poured out by the Father through a divine stimulus, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we're starting to get new pictures of humanity. We're starting to get, we're starting to see people, I mean, just being transformed by the power of God. People that we wouldn't have known that could be transformed by God. God begins to fill the world around us. So I wanna use um, a scene from nature. I've used this before, but I wanted to show you a scene from nature. It's kind of a real-time example how stimulus works. Now, in the world of ecology, which, um, I, I mean, if I was to get three lives, ecology would be my third life. That's what I would be, my third life. What would be your second life? I would be a submarine commander. That would be my second one because I just can't get away from blowing things up. I mean, I just think that would be really cool. And then looking at hum hummingbirds, third. That would be my third thing. But the interesting thing is um, you're going to see is that in nature there's this phenomenon, scientific phenomenon, proven phenomenon. It's in science, and I always go to science because God created it to show you, if I can show you a metaphor in the natural world, maybe it will expand your mind to believe in something in the spiritual world. You know, most of the time when we hear this idea of being born again, we, we're kind of like Nicodemus, how can you be born again? So God begins to use science to show us how biblical principles work. So there is one called a trophic cascade. This trophic cascade represents the power of stimulus. When you introduce a new element, how that element affects the ecosystem around it. It's a scientific fact. I want you to watch and see it explained. One of the most exciting scientific findings of the past half century has been the discovery of widespread trophic cascades. A trophic cascade is an ecological process which starts at the top of the food chain and tumbles all the way down to the bottom. And the classic example is what happened in the Yellowstone National Park in the United States when wolves were reintroduced in 1995. Now, we, we all know that wolves kill various species of animals, but perhaps we're slightly less aware that they give life to many others. Before the wolves turned up, they'd been absent for 70 years. But the numbers of deer, because there was nothing to hunt them, had built up and built up in the Yellowstone Park. And despite efforts by humans to control them, they'd managed to reduce much of the vegetation there to almost nothing. They'd just grazed it away. But as soon as the wolves arrived, even though they were few in number, they started to have the most remarkable effects. First, of course, they killed some of the deer, but that wasn't the major thing. Much more significantly, they radically changed the behavior of the deer. The deer started avoiding certain parts of the park, the places where they could be trapped most easily, particularly the valleys and the gorges. And immediately, those places started to regenerate. In some areas, the height of the trees quintupled in just six years bare valley sides quickly became forests of aspen and willow and cottonwood. And as soon as that happened, the birds started moving in. 
the number of songbirds and migratory birds started to increase greatly. The number of beavers started to increase because beavers like to, to eat the trees. And beavers, like wolves, are ecosystem engineers. They create niches for other species. And the dams they built in the rivers um, provided habitats for otters and muskrats and ducks and fish and reptiles and amphibians. The wolves killed coyotes and as a result of that, the number of rabbits and mice began to rise, which meant more hawks, more weasels, more foxes, more badgers. Ravens and bald eagles came down to feed on the carrion that the wolves had left. Bears fed on it too, and their population began to rise as well, partly also because there were more berries growing on the regenerating shrubs. And the bears reinforced the impact of the wolves by killing some of the calves of the deer. Here's where it gets really interesting. The wolves changed the behavior of the rivers. They began to meander less. There was less erosion. The channels narrowed. More pools formed. More riffle sections, all of which were great for wildlife habitats. The rivers changed in response to the wolves. And the reason was that the regenerating forests stabilized the banks so that they collapsed less often, so that the rivers became more fixed in their course. Similarly, by driving the deer out of some places and the vegetation recovering on the valley sides, there was a soil erosion because the vegetation stabilized that as well. So the wolves, small in number, transformed not just the ecosystem of the Yellowstone National Park, this huge area of land, but also its physical geography. So if I had told you this morning when you got up, I really believe that wolves can change the shape and courses of rivers. You would all think I was like out of my mind, wouldn't you? You would have thought that's crazy. I remember growing up, we used to read American mythology. People don't realize we, America's got its own mythology. One of the characters was Paul Bunyan. And Paul Bunyan was supposed to be like this giant Herculean character that had a, an ox. Anybody remember the storyline that you had a giant ox? I think the ox's name was Blue, if I'm not mistaken. But it was, it was mythologically believed that, that Blue and Paul Bunyan made the St. Lawrence River, which helped create some of the Great Lake uh, ecosystem that he actually dug it out with this giant ox on the earth. Now, most of us know that that's mythology. But if, I had, if when you walked in here and I had told you that a, that a wolf could change the course of a river, you would have no way of thinking that that could possibly be true. And maybe you are sitting here, but it's not for you about rivers. Maybe it's about your marriage. There's no way that this marriage is going to turn out any good. You know, and, what, and when you talk about how God's going to heal my marriage, to you it sounds just as crazy as a giant ox dredging out of a river. You know, maybe you think there's no way that America is going to change or uh, a life is going to get better for you. And for a lot of us, it just seems like mythology. But what we saw bore out in a scientific example is that it can happen, that the cascading effect of God's influence into your life can begin to change the course of rivers. It can begin to change the course of your children. It can change your marriage it can have a profound effect on you. So whether it's the world of economics, the world of ecology, the power of stimulus is real. 
and it's being offered to us by God. And, and I really think that God is giving us this stimulus this day so that the human ecosystem around us can be changed. So after the day of Pentecost, it would have been easy to say that this was a knockoff historical one-time moment, you know, for a select group of people. Wouldn't it have? I mean, it's like, and a lot of churches have done that. A lot of denominations don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. They're like, you know, intellectually, yes, I know it's in the Bible, but that's not for today. That was for the old times. Or that was for Jewish people, or just whatever. But a lot of people would, would say that this isn't for today. But the, but the Apostle Peter tries to ex, explain to the people that are hearing this and experiencing it, God's desire to reproduce this effect in any size and in any people group. Say, now this is normally where I would go off on my little fascination with things called fractals. And you know, if you're in the world of fractals, they're, they're really cool. Um, but fractals are a scientific thing, mathematical thing. It, uh, let me give you an example of one. Is the uh, nautilus shell that you would pick up off the beach has that nice little spiral to it that we're all familiar with? Well, the, how that spiral opens up and the width of it as it gets as it goes further in, and the ratio, and the angles, and, and all the mathematics involved in make it are exactly the same numbers that you find in a spiral nebula out in the middle of the solar system. It's spun exactly the same way with the same ratio. And it's like, wait a minute, you're kidding me. That two unrelated environments are working under the same mathematical formulas and, and regulations and directed by the same math. Exactly is what it is. And so the apostle Peter is like, whoa, 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 whoa. before you go, I, I don't want you thinking that this is only for, for shells on the sand. That this is a principle of the Holy Spirit that goes for everyone, everyone. And so, so Peter tries to tell them about this, how this fractal of God pouring out his Holy Spirit, empowering people, can be, is reproduced by God. So I want you to listen to Peter go off about fractals, because he was into it too. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. See, now, that crowd heard that say all flesh, and that crowd in the first century, they knew exactly what they heard, okay? All flesh meant what? White dudes. That's what it meant, or, or Middle Eastern dudes. That's what they heard, is because that was usually the cultural limitation of anything that God or anybody was doing on planet Earth. So when they heard all flesh, they were like, yeah, all flesh, but not really all flesh, right? I mean, you're gonna, no, Peter's like, no. No, it's, it's about fractals. It's about God doing this everywhere. So he breaks it out. He says, when you heard all flesh, here's what I meant to say. On your sons, on your daughters, and they shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And all those folks over social, in social security age, like myself, your old men will dream dreams. And even on my male servants. What? Male servants? So it's not just gonna to go to owners, it's gonna to go to slaves. Oh yeah, yeah, it's going to slaves. Yeah, but, but not the female slaves. I mean, that's like the bottom of the bottom according to the social strata here. This, it doesn't cascade down to them. And he's like, and on your female servants? In those days I will pour out my spirit and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, here's this fractal language again, for the promise is for you and for your children and for those who are far off and everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. See, this promise is powerful. Now, there's first the elements of this promise. The elements of the promise are this, grace and empowerment for life. Is there anybody here, you don't have to raise your hand, anybody interested in a little bit of grace and empowerment for life? Anybody interested in, in having a little bit more of, of empowerment for life? I mean, like, who wouldn't want this? But it's, it's a, a promise of grace and empowerment. It's like, okay, check, I'm, I'm there. I'm, you still got me, Pastor Paul. It's like, okay, what are the qualifications of this promise? Okay, there are real few. Um, re repent and be baptized. It's like, wait a minute, okay, so what do you mean by repent? Just like name off all my sins? You know, go into the confessional and say all my sins in the confessional or something? No, no, no. It, it means I, I, whatever course and direction that you're taking your life, I'm asking you to turn from it and, and give me your life. It's like, so I need, you need to know that in order for this to become a reality, that's going to have to happen. I'm also going to warn you, if you don't want God messing with your life, don't do any of the stuff I'm talking about today. Okay? Seriously. Um, don't do anything I'm doing, saying today. If you, you don't want grace and empowerment from God, just walk away. And, and I'll be honest with you, I don't even know why you'd come back to church. I mean, because God's, this is not the way we normally say this, but God wants to screw with your life. He wants, to, he wants to get in there and tinker. He wants to pour out his Holy Spirit on you, and he wants to begin to rearrange it and all this stuff. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. I just want God to give me the best version of my life. Oh, no, that's, that's not how it works, okay? That, that may work for a really good book, and, and if you think washing your face and looking at yourself and saying nice things in the mirror is gonna transform your life, you could just forget that crap, okay? You are going to have to get something bigger than you, a new lens that's going to take you beyond you, something to stimulate your life. So turn your life over to God. Then the third, the scope of the promise is this. Everyone, everywhere, every time. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit. Everyone, everywhere, every time. Young, old, male, female, rich, and poor. Now, we hear this, right? So it, it sounds, that sounds right, technically. But you know, I preach a lot of stuff I don't believe. And I know it's like, well, you're a hypocrite. And now I'm just a... Struggle, struggling skeptic, you know, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know how the times table works either, but I still do my math via it, you know, I, I don't understand everything uh, about my car, but I love driving it, it's so just because there's an incongruency about this, but, but sometimes you just say, well, that, that's, that's God, then that must be what it is, and, and so, but there are some times we preach things that we don't really believe, or we really gotten, got a hold of, and, and there is somebody in this story who's preaching to the crowd who technically doesn't really believe everything he's saying. He believes God said it, but he, he 
doesn't really believe it. And who is it in the story? It's Peter. Peter doesn't really believe what he's preaching. Now, that doesn't nullify its words, God's word, but it just shows that sometimes we don't believe what we preach or what we say we believe. See, it's easy to preach hope and love to some, but to not believe it for a certain kind of other in your life. Who's your other? Is it your ex-wife? Is it a certain people group, certain skin color? I mean, a certain kind of person, do you have an other that you believe God is yes and amen for everybody except for that other? Well, here's this. What if your other is you? See, a lot of us have a hard time believing God for us. I mean, there's this two of my daughters and Emma, oh, Madison. I mean, there's some of the most amazing young women right here on the front row. I just see a screaming potential over all of them. I, you know, if any one of them come up to me and, and said, Pastor Paul, you think this is true for me? I'd be, I'd, I'd be like grabbing them up by the scruff like this, and I'd be saying, girl, don't you ever let anybody tell you that you're going to be anything less than amazing with the grace of God. And, and if you do, Mr. Ben will kick their butts. You know, I would have no problems that but have those same people walk up to me and say, Pastor Paul, you're amazing, you're awesome, God's gonna do some great things. I'm in, you know what I'm doing inside? Literally, when you come up and tell me how good of a job I've done, you know what I'm doing inside? No lie, I'm telling you this. I walk right into my office and I go, ah. I don't believe it, I don't believe it, because I live with me. I know what I think, you know? And, and, and so that's, Sometimes it's easier for a wolf to change the course of a river than for a, to get a wife to believe that her husband can change or to get a man to think that he can change, you know? But Peter is very clear about, you know, he's preaching it, it's awesome, but Peter has a mental block. There's, there's a certain other that Peter doesn't think this applies to it. Um, see, for Peter... It's all true except for if you're a non-Jew who has anything to do with the hardships afflicted upon Israel, particularly if you're a Roman and particularly if you're a soldier. I mean, we all have our people group that we don't like. Or I, at least I do. I have a people group that I don't like. I know that sounds terrible. I can't believe Pastor Paul would say that. But what do you think, I'm naturally a nice guy? You think I naturally like everybody? But, it, you know, you know, there's just some people I like and some people I don't like. And Peter was exactly the same way. But God didn't want him to be shooting pictures of life with his little dinky lens. He wanted to change his biases, his presuppositions, his predispositionings. He wanted to get into all of it. He wanted to get inside of Peter and screw up his Jewishness. Screw up his maleness, screw up his limited perspective about what life could be. That's what God loves to do. He's up there right now looking at your life going, <laughs> I could really do something in this marriage that these people would just let me do it. For Peter, it was the non-Jew Roman soldier. So sure enough, the book of Acts, God in his infinite humor sends Peter, not Paul, not James, not John sends Peter to a non-Jewish Roman soldier. 
I don't think you could have put two people who were opposite together than what was put together by God when he says, Peter, I want you to go to the house of Cornelius and I want you to tell him about my son Jesus. I want you to tell him about the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to tell this family about, about God. And Peter's like, you gotta be kidding me. It's like, there's no way. And it's like, no. So Peter presents the elements, the qualifications and the scope of the promise of God to uh, Cornelius's family. Now, I wonder what he thought was going to happen when that happened. I bet you, I wonder if Peter just kind of like was, you know, nothing's really gonna happen, right? And some of you are believing that right now, that nothing's really gonna happen. Uh, it may happen for somebody else. So I wonder if Peter went to Cornelius' house and was like, all right, I'll do what you want me to do, Lord. God forbid that I don't obey you, so I'm gonna do it. So he lays out the, the gospel story and he presents it, and I love what it says. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word. Now, I've noticed in this in the first service, it's not in my notes. It said, while the Peter was still saying these things. See, um, this is what I learned kind of quick on as a pastor. That you don't have to talk long or say a lot if God's in it. But, but here's the other thing. God doesn't even wait for the preacher guy to finish talking. You know, it's like, wait a minute, I haven't done the altar call yet. You know, I haven't, you know, I haven't laid out the five points of uh, eschatology yet. I haven't laid down, you know, I haven't presented a, it's The example that I got, and please, God wasn't offended by this example in the last service because I lived to do this a second time. So, so don't you be offended by this example. But this kind of energy from God, this excitement that I'm not even gonna wait for you to finish, I see it happen by my dog, Pepper, okay? My dog Pepper, when, when Pepper needs to go potty, okay, I don't care what we do, we'll be sitting there watching a movie, watching Mandalorian, and all of a sudden Pepper will stand in front of the couch and go, woof, woof, and I'll say, shut up. And she'll go, woof, woof. I'll be like, oh, for crying out loud, you know. Or I'll pretend I don't hear it so that Susan will get up and she'll do it, you know. Yeah, guys, you know what that's all about, right? Uh, selective hearing. And so, but she'll just, whoo! And I'm like, all right, I'll take you out. And you know what Pepper does? All of a sudden, her tail starts doing this little thing, you know, like the back of the dog starts wagging the front of the dog. And, and she'll start, and she'll run towards the front door down the hallway, slide into the front door, you know, and then turn around and, and she I mean, she's like a convulsion. She's just doing all this stuff. And all of a sudden, I'll be like, sit, 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 that's it. Then I'll open the door and wham, she's out the door. This is exactly what the Holy Spirit does. Peter's preaching the gospel, and Peter's like, okay, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. No, no. And the Holy Spirit's like, no, 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 I want to go, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go, I want to Why? You say, wow, this is so irreverent. Local pastor compares to dog peeing on front lawn. I mean, hashtag, you know. Let me just tell you what. God is less insulted by the natural behavior of a dog than he is by the inappropriate behavior of a Christian. Okay? So dogs aren't ticking God off. They're doing what dogs do. But let me just tell you, the Holy Spirit wants to get into you. He wants to affect your life. He wants you to start taking pictures that are amazing. I sent one of my pictures to my brother and to friends, and you know, and they're all like, man, look at the details of the wings of that, that bird. 
And it was like, yeah, you know, they were there all the time. I just couldn't see them through the lens that I was living with. And God wants to change all that. You think you need another husband. Nah, he needs a cascading effect. You think you need a different wife. No, you know, you just need the power of the Holy Spirit to cascade into your mind and into your life and into your relationship, and it will bring about change. While Peter was still saying this, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Not amazed. This is so racial. It's incredible. So I'm so religiously racist. It's like they were amazed, not because the Holy Spirit did something supernatural, but because it went on the others. You know, it said, look at it. it says because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. It's like, yeah, but Paul, you can't fix my marriage. No, even your marriage. Yeah, even your workplace. I mean, it's like it's so amazing that the gift of the Holy Spirit is poured out even on people like you and me. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. So what I have pulled out from this is everyone, everywhere, every time. The promise of the Holy Spirit to empower our lives and start a trophic cascade of grace is for everyone, everywhere, every time. There are a few things that I can say, like if you walked up to a body of water and said you wanted to get to the other side, I'm not really sure I could say that God guaranteed that, the Red, that Lake Marion's gonna open up and you're gonna walk through. There was nothing in scripture that says that every time you come up to a body of water, whether it's your bathtub or whatever, that you're gonna be able to walk on it or it's gonna split in half. There is no such promise in scripture. But there is a promise that if we will turn our lives over to God, that if we will return to him, give him control of our lives, there is a promise that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on us and empower us with his grace. Everyone, everywhere, every time. See, the gospel doesn't care about your configuration. This is where it's really going off the rails. And I'm so glad I'm, I get to be the guy that does it. See, the gospel doesn't care about configuration. It will empower you right where you are. You don't have to be unblack. You don't have to be unwhite. You don't have to be unsingle. You don't have to be unmarried. You don't have to be ungay. And you don't have to be unbroken to start. Now, which one of those just became your other? Okay. I told you, we all have another. But you know, it's, it's like, no, the promise is for everyone. And I don't care, and the gospel doesn't care what your current configuration of your life is. I mean, that is, I, I've wrestled with this, you know, and let me just for a second land on the gay issue. Is that I know what God says, how God wants us to live. I mean, the Bible's very clear. We, we can't rewrite that. And, and God, in his infinite wisdom, knows how life, marriage, and all that stuff works better. Well, that's fine. Yeah, but, uh, you know, uh, but a lot of us aren't starting there, are we? A lot of us have slept around before we got married. A lot of us have, are into our third and fourth marriage. Okay, so God finds us there. 
I mean, God finds human beings in all kinds of configurations. And, and we have messed, the, messed this up in the church because you, we tend to make you think you got to create a better configuration to get God. You know, as a Catholic, I was raised and told that because I had been through a divorce that I couldn't receive communion anymore. I was like, you, I mean, I, I was from Boston, so I used a lot of words with the priest. I remember, I'm, I'm just, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm gonna do it, okay? It's not like we're super big and, you know, <laughs> I mean, like I'm gonna lose my fame or anything here. I remember going to a Catholic mass after getting divorced and I remember the priest saying, yes, we wanna welcome everyone to receive communion and if you're divorced, we still wanna invite you to come up and receive communion, but what we ask is we're not gonna give you communion, we just ask that you put your hands like this in the form of an X and that we will give you a blessing. And what this means is excommunicado. It means I can't receive communion because my life is screwed up. So when the priest went down the row, I was just so ornery and so mad that when he came down the row and he saw me, I removed four of my five fingers and I'm like, you can keep your blessing, okay? All right, so <laughs> I was so angry. It's like, so where do I start? Do I start after getting an annulment? Then I can eat the body and blood of Jesus Christ? I thought the body and blood of Jesus Christ was the start of this journey. And he said, well, let's, let's not pick on the Catholics, because I love being Catholic. I mean, once Catholic, always Catholic. I, I, I love some of my Catholic heritage. So let's, let's pick on the Protestants. Okay, or evangelicals. Uh, we evangelicals won't give you membership until you're straight. Okay? You can't be a part of the church. Oh, we love you, but we're just not, I mean, you come to our church, but you can't be a member. Oh, okay, wait a minute. So, so you mean to tell me I've got to wrestle with the biggest battle of my life is understanding my, my sexuality, regardless of how you got there, Okay, I mean, uh, so I got to get that straight before I can be a member of your, your little club at Crosstown. Does that sound like Jesus to you? I mean, does that sound like, like Peter saying, uh, and, and the promise of the Holy Spirit to your children and to your children's children and to as many that are far off? Yes, there are people who are way far off from the Christian life. But guess who offered them an opportunity to get the Holy Spirit? God himself. I don't know about you. I just, you know. And I know, I got questions right afterwards. Wait a minute, did you just affirm gay marriage? Um, I'm like, this is, I wanted to say, hey, stupid. Is that what you just heard? I mean, is, is that really what you heard? Are your biases so tight? You, you know, I mean, are, are you so ew, that you really can't even think it in your head that God starts with regular broken people and that's where he loves to start? Matter of fact, it's the only place he starts. It's the only place he starts. He loves the broken. He loves the humble. He loves the outcast. Oh man, he just, he's just, you know, you just open up that door and you watch him go. He goes after them, it's amazing. So no, I didn't affirm it, but you know what I'm not affirming? 
I'm not affirming gay marriage, but I'm also not affirming stupid marriage either. What's stupid marriage? Oh, that's two people who are proud of themselves because they're heterosexual and they go to church on Sunday morning, but they bicker, they fight, they backstab, they're evil to each other. So, you know, okay, so like I said, I knew this was going to go off the rails and I am so glad it did. I am 62 years old. I only got 24 hours living and I ain't going to waste it here. <laughs> So, I'm sorry, that was a quote from A Bug's Life, a cartoon. Uh, so, as we wrap this up, the, power of the, the effect of the power of the Holy Spirit can restore your Yellowstone. It can make your crooked river straight and your straight river crooked. I mean, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And there is no other version of Christianity preached in the gospel other than this one. This Christianity where I just go to church and be ethically good and, and go to church and try to get God to bless me, but yet I remain unchanged, transformed. Don't give God my life. Don't declare him before the world and don't open myself up for the power of the Holy Spirit is not biblical, okay? That's not biblical. If you don't want God screwing with your life in such a beautifully divine and amazing way, then don't do any of this. But if you do, oh, he's going to get in there. You're going to see that puppy run, hit the front door, and just wait for you to open up because he wants to transform your marriage. He will, I'm promising you, he will restore your Yellowstone if you let him. You came in here and you thought I was an idiot because I said wolves can straighten rivers. Now you believe it. I'm here to tell you, if you think I'm an idiot because I believe God can change your marriage, who's the, and you don't believe that, who's the idiot now? Okay? Do you think God raised Jesus from the dead so that you and I could be good Americans? You think that's it? Oh. Jesus said in Luke 13, 18, what is the kingdom of God like? He says, and what should I compare it to? Because Jesus is just, I mean, he inspired me. He just didn't have a video to show. So we kind of showed this video. The kingdom of Kevin, uh, Kevin, the kingdom, who's Kevin? Maybe he's dating Samantha. Uh, so, <laughs> that's a frozen joke right there. Uh, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden and it grew and it became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in his branches. What is that? That's trophic cascading. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is just like this. If you'll just plant the seed of this in your marriage. Now, you're gonna walk out the door and you're gonna fight in the car and you're gonna, but if you will continue to ask the Holy Spirit to fill your life, you're going to see in time this tree begin to emerge. And then all of a sudden you're gonna to begin to see all the birds of the air. And I love it in the original language, it's like all kinds of birds. I mean, different kinds of birds. Land in your branches, affected by your relationship with God. So as we move into this moment of expressions, let me read to you Acts chapter two again, verse 37. Repent and be baptized, 
every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Everywhere, everyone, every time when we give our lives to him. The Spirit of God was the cascade of force in the creation story. The Spirit of God was the cascading force that divided the Red Sea. The Spirit of God was the cascading courage in a young man named David when he faced a giant. The Spirit of God was the force by which death was vanquished and Jesus rose from the dead. It was the Spirit of God that cascaded and led a band of, a small band of fishermen to turn the world upside down. And if you're here and you say, is it for me? Is it really that good? Is it really that good? I'm here to tell you, it is. And Paul said in Romans 5.3, this hope will not lead to your disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Why are we doing baptism next week? Not so that I can meet with a group of pastors and have coffee and say, we baptized five people today. You know? Not for you to get wet, not, for you, not to embarrass you in public, but to open the door and let that puppy loose and let God begin to do the work in your life that he wants to do. Heavenly Fathers, we're in this moment. You are offering us the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Lord God, and you're not offering it to the per perfect people or the Jewish people or the Catholic people or the heterosexual people or the white people or the black people alone. But God, you're you're offering it to everyone, everywhere, every time. We call upon the name of the Lord. We shall be saved. And we shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So let me encourage you. Dads, I know you you didn't think you were spiritual when you walked in here today or you're not religious. That's okay. I'm not very religious either. But do you want more grace and empowerment to raise your daughters, to raise your sons, to teach your grandchildren? Well, God wants to do it too. It's going to have to begin with you. Moms, the promise of God is for you as well. Husbands, wives, young, old, the promises to as far, to as many who are afar off, as many as God calls himself to himself. And who is he calling to himself? Jesus stood and said, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the way to the Father. God desires that no man, no woman should perish but experience eternal life now. Let me invite you to come 
Give your life to God and receive the Holy Spirit.